Welcome back to Cause and Turn Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Lady of the Lake, Chapter 7. Uh, so this is Siri traveling through time and space, on sort of uh, dimension hopping uh, as she tries to flee the wild hunt. And basically, it's a series of vignettes of small stories from the various different dimensions she finds herself in um, and links up with the Fleming device of Nimue and Kaguyamers. And um, some, some of the vignettes are more interesting than others. Some are historical references or historical jokes. Some are, uh, you know, uh, very dark in nature. Some are more lighthearted. And then, of course, there's... Uh, the the extended ones uh, like Forrest Gramps and the bubonic plague, um, you know, I I think symbolically symbolize, you know, so, sort of embody a uh, series journey through the saga. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Maybe looking too far into things, but I think it it does symbolize, symbolically show the progression of her character. Because when she first starts hopping, um, you know, she wants to go somewhere she's familiar with. Uh, she first hops into our world in Poland uh, during the Middle Ages uh, and is spotted by Sir Heinrich of uh, the, uh, the Teutonic Knights, uh, which were a, uh, a crusader order that, uh, you know, uh, went to spread Christianity and, you know pillaging murder and all that sort of stuff as per usual with those kind of things in what we would know as eastern europe you know burning civilization to the slavs basically um the teutonic knights were a complicated bunch um i, I believe they the, they were mainly known as like the, the ones who were me uh, medics they, they set up uh, a, a lot of uh basically infirmaries uh d during the the plague days and stuff like that so they they had some good things going for them but not great things uh as with anything in those kind of orders um the templars etc you know they they're kind of infamous for you know taking things a bit too overboard with their um their their belief in things and uh the Teutonic Knights obviously play a big part in Polish history. So that was the joke. And then the extract that opens is a is a letter from uh the Inverness Weekly that is basically talking about that this fisherman saw Siri and claims there was a unicorn and some crazy stuff going on. Obviously true, but you know, it's uh, not in uh, their eyes because it's our world and that's of course ridiculous but the 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 joke there is that Inverness um, is a, a town in Scotland that is usually associated with a lot of weirdness uh, usually a lot of spooky stories have connections to Inverness it's not too far away it's not not exactly close but it's not exactly far away either from Loch Ness and of course all that stuff uh, you know the Loch Ness monster and all that um you know, a lot of books, if they want to touch into that, like, cultural tradition and, like, the, the, the weirdness of the of pagan rituals and ideas in Scotland, it's usually going to be Inverness. Uh, Inverness is the, the weird place. Outlander, uh, it's Inside the Incident, takes place in Inverness. Uh, Doctor Who does an infamous thing uh, with Inverness uh, in the episode Time Lash. 
Um, so like, it, you know, it, it's the culturally accepted thing. If it's weird, and in Scotland, it's Inverness. Um, but basically, she's trying to find, you know, her home in some way. So she goes places that she tries anyway to go places that she feels comfortable with. And so she tries the Temple of Middle Lillet, where she met Yen, which is the first place she starts, and then Kermorin, and she ends up in a forest, and she thinks it may be Barokolo. And I think that really symbolizes, you know, the, the way in which she has developed as a character, puts a harsh stamp on it. Like, this, when we met her, when the reader met her in Brocolone with Geralt, you know, she was this small kid who was a bit bratty, who's uh, had a cold, who's kind of adorable, and was very sure of herself and her place in the world. And now she's, you know, someone who's lost in time and space, who's been used and abused, a murderer. She's very different from what she is, so it kind of gets you thinking how far we've come. And then I think that really shows when she gets to Forrest Grant's world. Because Forrest Grant's world is basically the entire saga in microcosm. Uh, Forrest Grant welcomes her in. He's a kind, unassuming old man who, uh, you know, you just assume he's just a knight because he's an old man. Sweetness and kindness brings her in. And then he attempts to rape her. And we find out that not only is he a pedophile... But he's also a cannibal. So he eats people, and if they're children, he rapes them first. Then he eats them. And the only reason she survived is because his pervertedness took over rather than his need to feed. Uh, and so, you know, she deals with that, and she basically, it, it makes mention, she stayed. When she found out what happened and figured out what was going on, you know, she set fire and she made sure, she uh, stayed around until it burned to, to ensure that the, the people were avenged in some way. And I and I think what that encapsulates is that Forrest Gramps is the Wild Hunt. Forrest Gramps is... Emir, Forrest Gramps is Vilgefortz. Forrest Gramps is the Lodge of Sorceresses. Forrest Gramps is the, the kings and queens of the North. He is the perverted thing, the embodiment of taking away agency, taking away your ability. You will be a tool first for one's own grotesque pleasure, for uh, sexual uh, gratification, and then you'll be eaten to uh, be sustenance, the, the the thing that will keep them going. He effectively, he embodies what everybody wants of Ciroli, and her staying around to burn his house, to burn everything, basically shows that, no, that's not who I am, that's not what I want to be, and I'm more than that, I'm my own person. We follow from Forrest Gramps into the bubonic plague world, which is assumed to be our world, uh, during the height of the Black Death. And basically we see a world ravaged by, uh, you know, disease, uh, plague, uh, you know, uh, plague mounds and in, in, in mass graves. And basically she has to really struggle with that. And it, it reflects on when she entered that war-torn uh, world earlier in the chapter, uh, and Little Horse implies that this might be the future of her world, and she's like, no, I, I refuse to believe that, I believe this is the past. Basically, it's, these two combine, basically show the consequences of her, of what she represents, 
uh, who she is and what her destiny entails. That if she doesn't go through certain things, then all will die. But she doesn't have the, you know, she that also d denies her her own agency. And this entire story is about her rejecting that and saying, I am my own human being. I am my own person. I deserve to have a choice. I deserve to have my own will. So it's showing the, the, the abuse and the consequences as we follow her through these worlds. I think that's what it symbolically implies. It, you know, it might not have been, it might have just been, you know, some fun uh, deviations into other worlds, but I think that it implies something there. Um, there there's a few other worlds that, that she pops in on. One that that's basically our modern day with like, uh, you know, windmills, you know, used for electricity, uh, all, all sorts of things. She, she ends up in one where there's a beached whale and um, the birds have never seen humans so they don't know how they interact with people. The, there's just this hint that the world is far bigger. You know, the, the multiverse, now that she's opened that door, the multiverse is far bigger than anyone could conceive and she can conceive. And, uh, you know, she has the slightest grasp on her powers. Little Horse had to abandon her to keep her safe by holding off the wild hunt from chasing her down. Now she's by herself. You know, she's easily getting lost. Uh, it, there's that one really sad moment where she appears in the past that Geralt and his hunter are crossing on their suicide mission. And they find her tracks. And in her dreams in the previous series chapter, she saw this moment and it just really hits you on the head that these two have been separated for so long yet they they crave each other's you know presence so much that they the magical bond that they share allows them to feel that each other are near but the, the moment they get closer they they're pulled apart basically and there's an inherent tragedy in that that adds on to the entire symbolically this is her journey and microcosm then the entire Nimoy and Codweemers deal is we finally get an explanation and it's one that will be expanded upon Nimoy's obsession with the entire legend of the Witcher and the Witcheress. That when she was a novice at Eretuza in her time frame, that during a spout of love making on the beach, Siri encountered her during her travels, during this chapter. And for Siori, it's all in the moment, it's all right now. But for Nimue, that was decades ago. But she that stuck in her head because she knew the legend. There is uh, a deal in Season of Storms that implies that this isn't her first encounter with this legend, and that's all I'll say on that for now. He has stuck with her, and she felt sorry because she knows at least somewhat from the, the tales said that, uh, you know, that series going through a lot and she couldn't help her, uh, that, that she was too selfish in a way, concerned with her own, you know, gratification in that moment to reach out a helping hand to this poor girl. And so part of that is, uh, part of her obsession is hoping that she can find some way to redeem herself and, uh, fix that mistake which we see at the end while her uh, where siri encounters it again for siri it's only been a matter of a few hours at most for nimue it has been decades but yet they still remember that moment you know go 
you know, toward your destiny, the, 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 the cycle is closing. Everything has circled back and forth. The bits with Nimue that aren't tying into everything, which again adds to that symbolic nature, is about Ithlian's prophecy. Avalanche had kind of dismantled the idea of the prophecy in you know, the previous series chapter and talked about it very scientifically, but now in the future with Nimue and Kadwimers, we come to understand that this is basic understanding that basically the, the white frost is not some mystical end of the world. It is an ice age. And the way in which planets renew themselves. And this is a story of birth and renewal. That at the end of one thing, something else begins. Something ends, something begins. And so if the snake is to eat its own tail, this must happen again. Nimoy posits the idea that all of time is happening simultaneously. Time is not linear. It is a big ball of timey-wimey stuff or wibbly-wobbly, you know, uh, to quote Doctor Who, but, you know, time is inherently impossible to understand as a basic human being. And uh, this is the only way we can really grasp with it, is that if something ends, something begins, that things come in cycles and that the world will end but it will be reborn anew, and that the, this this prophesied end of the world isn't what people think it is. It's just climate change. It's just the nature of the world. And it's Sapkowski talking to you, the reader, and going, in this world, an ice age is impending. And because a lot of their uh, settlements are in the northern regions, that's going to affect them very badly. And we know from the previous conversations that some will survive, but, you know, civilization will die out in a certain way, but will still continue on, but it's more barbarous. And he highlights this again with the... the uh, with going to the bubonic plague, uh, you know, world, which is presumed to be our world, you know, at that time, that was con that was seen religiously as the end of the world by a lot of people. And, you know, it, it caused a lot of riots and horrible stuff to happen, you know, racial violence to stop the impending end of the world, even though it wasn't. It was, in, in the cosmic scale, it was minor, but it did lead to a lot of death and a lot of misery. And so everything can seem like the end of the world if you're not paying attention. But what you need to understand is that the world does go in cycles and that climate change does happen. And in this world, it's getting colder, but in our real world, it's getting hotter. And that's partly due to our own influences that, you know, we have affected our environment and that we need to clean up our act if we want to live in this world any longer. Much like the Witcher world, you know, an impending doom is heading towards us. It won't outright kill us all, hopefully. Uh, you know, it might, but, uh, you know, life will find a way to survive, but not in the way we assume it will be. And that we need to take precautions. We need to understand this. We need to accept our responsibility in it. And help the earth help it renew itself again if we want to continue living having been to a plague mound myself uh i went to university in winchester in the united kingdom and there they have some uh you know uh hills that have grown on the mass graves of the plague victims and one of the things is they have signs around don't dig in this area because the bubonic plague doesn't technically die it festered. You know, if we dug these people up, you know, long, long dead, hundreds of hundreds of years dead, there's a chance 
granted slim, but there is a chance that the bubonic plague could spread again. Of course, now we have a vaccine for the bubonic plague. We've had outbreaks relatively recently of the bubonic plague in, uh, in various different uh, countries, uh, and it's treatable. It's not something that's going to be like the Middle Ages anymore, where it's a massive ongoing thing, but living in a world in which COVID happened, or the Ebola epidemic, or uh, the bird flu, or whatever, you know, nature has to renew itself, and through these devices is the way it renews itself, and the more we affect that, the more problems we're causing for the place that keeps us alive, so maybe we should consider treating it kinder. Then he highlights, through the, the idea of cycles, that one flea jumped on Siri. That flea survived the travel through time and space, and then hopped off her when she randomly entered Nilfgaardian territory, found its way into a rat. Rat found its way onto a ship. That ship went to another harbor. That rat, you know, infested the area, hit a cat. Then it spread, and it spread, and spread, and spread, and became known as the Contriana Plague after the ship in which it was believed to come on, Catriona. It's just a bubonic plague, but it's the, the world of the Witcher has never experienced that before. Uh, that kind of devastation, and Siri caused it. it. You know, it inherently is a cycle, a new cycle. And then in a more hopeful cycle, he shows Arihanus Krantz basically is the Witcher world's Elseworlds Copernicus. He's he's the one that will discover, uh, you know, discover the understanding of uh, astronomy and the idea of heliocentrism, and uh, you know, really embody science above religion. And him encountering theory shows that you know he was right. Um, and it, it's a it's a nice parallel of the cycles in which worlds go in. This inherently is a chapter about cycles. We we view Siri from beginning to end of her world hopping adventure, paralleling and in microcosm showing her development over the saga. We see Nimue grow and uh, you know affect the own cycle that she lives in. We come to understand that the White Frost is just an ice age. It's the way in which planet life cycles work. We see in which science grows and uh, you know becomes important in how uh, technology leaps ahead occasionally and then grinds to halt and then leaps ahead again. And it's inherently about something and something begins. That this we are heading towards an endpoint. A good story will understand that just because the pages you have no more pages in your book doesn't mean the story ends. That a that the universe, whether it's fictional or not, does continue on. That people and the the the, the most lesser insignificant minor character still will influence things and the world should live on. That writing is a living document. And so when something instantly begins or borrows eats its own tail that we start a new cycle. When things end, it's renewed. Uh, the world ends, it, it rebirths. You know, Siri, uh, part of her life ended in tragedy. It's now beginning again. Nimue, you know, failed Siri that first time, succeeded the second time. It's about how we learn from our mistakes, how cycles embody everything in our world history technology sociology everything operates in cycles we just don't notice it because we are too concerned with the here and now 
then we don't understand the way time works. As Nimue points out, you know, it, it's all happening all at once. Siri right now is traveling through time and space at any moment. And uh, she can show up now. She can show up in two years. She can show up two minutes ago. That we operate on this cycle, but we as humans can't see it. So this was a fun chapter of dimension hopping shenanigans that basically shows and encompasses what Spikowski has been trying to put down in paper, you know, about the ways in which we experience things and the way stories are told, the way history is made, and so on, just with, you know, ramped up to 11 magical fairy tale fantasy type thing. Well, the rest of this book is going to get very dark and very, very character focused as he has stated most of what he wants to say about the ideas of schol uh, scholars and cycles and stuff like that. And while we'll still get some of that, uh, now it's going to become very rigidly we're nearing the end the the, the the snake is biting down its own tail aurora boris is beginning to have its lunch and something ends something begins and the world is going to keep on turning whether we're here or not see you next time bye <laughs>